This is the Saturday Morning Serial Podcast with your host, Amanda Ann. Hey, what is up, everyone? I hope everyone is doing well and staying warm from this crazy winter weather nationwide we're getting. My thoughts and prayers are with the people of Texas and anyone affected by Mother Nature at this time. What's going on down there is awful. So any support you guys can give them, I'm sure is very much appreciated. So today I have two very special guests. My first guest is my pal Kaylin. She is known as Pretty Bye for a Jedi on Twitter. She is a great artist and all-out fan, just like us. <laughs> and I also have my boyfriend Mike. And today we're going to talk about Avatar: The Last Airbender, which is a fan favorite. This show is crazy good and it's deep. Avatar The Last Airbender was created by Michael Dante Martino and Brian Konitzo, if I'm saying that right. <laughs> and it was aired on Nickelodeon on February 21st, 2005. And it ran for three seasons, or books, as they're called, until July 19th, 2008. The show is all about the four elements of air, water, earth, and fire. And it's how certain people in these nations of the elements, they can bend them as in they use the element as a sort of a superpower. The avatar is the chosen person who can bend all four elements at once. Overall, this show may look cute on the outside <laughs> at first glance, but it is so well-written, researched, and overall it's legendary in all of our opinions. I remember when I first watched it, it was I was like, oh, this is so cute. And Mike was like, it's not cute, it's deep, and, and I get it now. <laughs> so without further ado, let's get into the discussion. Okay, so we are going to start with the storyline of Avatar. Okay, so the storyline of Avatar is basically, it takes place in kind of like an ancient Asian world um, with four different nations, each divided by which element that they can control. And the people who can control the elements are called benders. And there is the firebenders who live in the fire nation, the air nomads who are airbenders, the water tribe are waterbenders, north and south respectively, and then there's the earth kingdom. And in each generation, there is one person born who can control all four elements. They are called the Avatar. And it's their responsibility to bring balance to not only the four nations, but also the spiritual world. Yeah, and all these episodes are connected and they're, classi like, they're classified as books. Books, yes. Yeah. I think it's I think the choice for the story to follow a bunch of kids was really really interesting. Um cuz the avatar how old is Aang in the beginning 11 or 12 somewhere around there and like Katara's like a little bit older and then Sokka's like 16 or 17. Um and I think especially like compared to to Korra where all of the characters are teenagers or older. I think it was just really interesting that not only did they take this really interesting deep world with all these difficult themes but mm. they presented through the eyes a bunch of a yes, bunch of kids yeah. it's, it's really about like the effect war has on children 
and kind of just how our nation, how where you live can vastly alter your viewpoint on dependent political situations. Like the Fire Prince Zuko believe at the beginning of the show he believes that his the Fire Nation is the greatest nation in the world. But from the eyes of Aang, the airbender, the Avatar, who is the last of his kind because of genocide, you know, committed at the hands of Fire Nation, he doesn't believe that. So we can kinda impose any country into the eyes of any other country and be ourselves through it and uh, and how our actions and how our consequences with other worlds with ourselves reflects. Yeah, and another thing I really like too is Aang, who's the main character. He's the avatar. You, he's like an 11, 12 year old boy. But, you know, you'd think someone at that age with that kind of a power would be like, yeah, I'm going to just take over the world. But he's an airbender, and airbenders are known as being gentle. They don't look for conflict, they're vegetarians. And it's just a lighter side of a hero, in yeah, my opinion. He's very much a. Uh... Yeah. A reluctant hero at first because he doesn't want to be the avatar. He wants to be an 11 year old boy. Mm -hmm. He wants to be an airbender and he doesn't get that responsibility. He doesn't get that choice. With his little air scooter. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think, I think it was a definite conscious choice that of the four nations, yeah. the avatar was an airbender. Because I, if, it, if it would have been a firebending avatar, like that would have been so different. Or even like a waterbending, like waterbending or earthbending, like they, all of those tribes have such strong cultural personalities, I feel. And so for the um, avatar in this story to be an airbender and um, they're, I know they're very influenced by like Buddhist monks. I think, I think that's, that choice is why. He didn't want to take yeah, I over agree the world. That Fire Nation and the Water Tribe, they come in pretty hot. So, just to you know, say like if Zuko was the Avatar, you would just it would just be like another cliche. Like I want to take over the world type well, of story. I feel like it's great about the the, the vastness mm -hmm. of the stories. Not only is it about the Four Nations, but also takes place sometimes in the past. Yeah. So there's this great episode where we actually see the point of view of a Fire Nation avatar about how he feels about the war. And he really doesn't take the threat of global war seriously from the, uh, the fire, the fire Lord. He's, he, because he knows them, he's still their best friends. So when the opportunity comes to not allow this to happen he kind of is very indecisive about it and it gets the better of him and i feel like overall too there's just a lot of development from like book one and the book three the characters are so well developed from over time and yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's really interesting because every character Every single character has an arc and undergoes so much change. Sokka is one of my favorites because he, when you first meet him in the first episode, he's kind of a misogynistic <laughs> little twerp. Guy. But by by the he end, toxic masculinity. Huh? Uh, you know, he's got to be tough and he can't show emotion and he's got to be the he... best at everything. Yep. Mm hmm. 
Well, and, and part of that though is because he's the oldest male in his tribe because all the other men left to go fight in the war. So some of that is, I, I feel like some of that stems from he didn't really have any male role models after his dad left. And then not only does he not have any role models, he's still a child and he has to help lead the tribe and teach all the other, he's basically the father figure for all the other boys in the tribe. And I can't imagine the pressure that would put on a 16 year old. So I think it's interesting. And then to watch him go through that change where he meets like, um, oh goodness, I forget Yue. He meets Yue and he meets Suki and like he develops all this respect for Katara and Toph. Like his, his transformation is one of my favorites. And then not only that, all of the other characters have bending powers and learn them over the course of this, of the series. And um, Sokka, even though he doesn't have bending, he makes a point to master all of the different non-bending fighting styles from each uh, kingdom that they visit. I mean, and that's one of my favorite things. Like fan and sword type of, bent of uh, martial arts from um, Kyoshi Island and his friend Suki. And he learns how to become a master sword swords bender, swordsmith, swordsman from uh, this mm -hmm. the Fire Nation. And he kind of just learns to become very militant and very tactical through his own experience. Yeah, so, and this leads into our next point, which is the characters. And we got the characters. We talked about Aang, who's, he's pretty much the main character. He is the avatar. We got Katara. She's a waterbender. Her brother, Sokka. And then we have Zuko, who is the Fire Nation's prince. And his sister, Azula, who is crazy. And her pals, Bay and Ty Lee. And then we mm -hmm. have Toph, who is a blind earthbender, and she is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. She's my favorite character of anything ever. The blind jokes are I good. Love her. Yeah. Oh my goodness, they're and my favorite. She's very capable, <laughs> and you always kind of forget that she's blind because she defends mm -hmm. herself and she manages her disabilities so well. And you always forget she's blind. And she's just so legendary because mm -hmm. then in Legend of Korra, which is Avatar's sequel, she's still a very important character compared to like Katara and um, Zuko, who just, they seem to be like retired. They don't want anything to do with saving the world anymore. But you know, Toph, she's, she's there. What are you talking about? Toph was living in a swamp Shrek style. But she did <laughs> step up to save that's why, that's why she said something about Katara not wanting to... S Never mind. <laughs> this is about Airbender. It is about, about Airbender, Cora. not about Cora. Stop gushing about your favorite show. Stay on topic. <laughs> right? We can just we'll edit it into Cora two episodes. We will, yes. You heard it here. We'll do Cora. That's a promise. Um, we also have Heck little yeah. fuzzy characters like Momo. And Alpha. And everybody's favorite. Yes, Appa. Appa and Momo. I have an Appa plush. I have an Appa AirPod case I just got. <laughs> Appa's best boy. And I love the relationship that Appa I love Appa. have with Man and Beast. Yes. <laughs> it's just so each, good. Each avatar is granted an animal spirit guide, I guess you would call it. And um, Aang, being an airbender, his spirit guide, his animal keeper, is a 
Sky Bison, Air Bison, and it's, he's a mix between like a buffalo, a bison, and a sea manatee. Yeah. So you watch a show and you see the way he kind of like swims through the air with his like tail and it's very sea manatee-like. That's, yeah, that's not an observation I've ever made before. That's really interesting. You know, like what is that? Yeah. Is he part beaver? But then I looked it up and he's a sea manatee. <laughs> and, it makes shape, and it makes sense because he's, he's a lot rounder and kind of, you know, pudgier. Mm-hmm. And he comes a clutch. Yeah, that, that makes perfect lot. sense. Yeah. Like, he he's a, he could be a beast. Uh-huh. Can we talk about his his standalone episode he got? Um, no. God. <laughs> there's a very, No. So, when you watch the show, <laughs> yes. it's very traumatizing yes, but no. <laughs> episode about what happens when Appa is separated from the rest of the group. No. And it deals with all sorts of animal rights issues about animals in circuses and animals that get lost and poaching and trading and everything. It touches on all of it. And I want to say it won a, uh, a Humane Society Award. It won some of recognition from a huge uh, animal rights group about how it dealt with the hardships. And it was, yeah, it's a it's a tough episode to watch, but very important because it does touch upon real life situations with animal abuse and stuff. So yeah, and you wouldn't you wouldn't think that you could watch an entire episode about a main character that doesn't talk mm-hmm. and it doesn't have a super expressive face and but you know D. Bradley Baker and his little grunts and his moves and every every little noise he makes and the way the animators just tell this story it all conveys emotion that is in par with any other human animated character yeah momo also has some personality then too a little bit <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's i will say in cora i felt like the um relationship between her and her polar bear dog i i don't feel like was as strong as ang and appa got done dirty but yeah that's there's so much depth to all these characters and something else that i really like about the show is that they don't shy away from difficult topics just because it's an animated nickelodeon show for kids like there's they cover like parental abuse they cover like we talked about genocide and um like war and sexism and yeah they it's they hit it's pretty much everything. When I first started you know, watching this with Mike, Mike is the one that introduced me to the show right after we started dating, and I was like, "Oh, this show is so cute!" And you were just like, "Cute? No!" <laughs> and now I see what it was all about, and now I I, I just really appreciate yeah. it because it's something. It's a show that no one's ever really seen on, especially like a platform like Nickelodeon, where yeah. you got SpongeBob and. Fairly odd parents. Mm-hmm. So Nick William really doesn't didn't understand what they yeah. had at the time, and they did kind of go out looking for this type of like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter like type of show with you know a huge mythology, and they got pitched this show, and of course they they picked it up, and it's what we have now. But even even as they were airing it, they they didn't understand like that it's like a storyline and that you can't just air the same episode over and over or air episodes out of order and have it make sense. And there's this great joke 
in the fan community about how mm-hmm. the Great Divide is the worst episode. Not because it's the worst episode. Who knows what the worst episode is? I, that's that's topic for another day. But because it was overplayed, it was on Nickelodeon every day. Um, <laughs> oh, even no. see how, how Nickelodeon kind of fumbles the the ownership of the show, too, when they get Legend of Korra, and they took Legend of Korra, they took it off the air in the middle mm-hmm. of season three. Because Legend of Korra is real. It gets real fast. Oh, I didn't know that. Not to spoil anything. It does. There is, there is an on-screen that, and it was one of the first visible on-screen deaths oof. in the show. And it's very shocking. It, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It really. Yeah. It'll, uh, it'll take your breath oh, away. Just wait a second. But then we also have <laughs> really great Dang it. fill-in episodes like The Beach oh. that has to do with the Fire Nation rhymes. That's, that's one of my favorites. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's one of my favorite episodes. Right. And it's like nothing exciting happens, but you get so much character development on um, Tylee yes. May and Azula, but especially Azula. Like, that's the point. Like, up until that point, I feel like Azula is kind yes. of like a ghost yeah. of a villain. Like, you know, she's not good. But then you get that episode and then you feel badly for her. And then you start to see how crazy she is. And it's not... That's something I saw. I watched. I, I read a breakdown of the of the episode at the end where um, she fights with Zuko and Katara's there, and they could have that fight isn't framed as this big power battle. It's sad because her character is just so she was manipulated and like just like her parents just like well not her but I guess I guess her mom even a little bit too but her like she's just such a tragic character that whole thing because Azula I never really paid attention to her until that episode because she was just an evil sister that was hungry for the throne with electric powers and it was like okay yeah whatever but then it's like that beach episode they all have great it's like you know you see them having fun and parting it up but then you see a vulnerable side to azula she's jealous of ty lee she wants guys to notice her she got dumped aside by her mom you know and just yeah and there's so many different little Mm -hmm. things about azula's personality like that even come through in her like firebending like for example her blue flame and if you know anything about science you know that pure of a flame there is the bluer of a hue it is so the reason that her flame is blue is because she's such a perfectionist and what you'll see happen throughout the show is when things don't go her way she just unravels yeah she's she's a very interesting character i mean you could call her a villain but you could also call her an anti-hero in her own right because she's just so dimensional Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, like, with Zuko, too, just for him to just kind of, like, let loose with May a little bit. Like, them two just, I'm bored. (laughs) So what? (laughs) They're so cute. That was funny. (laughs) And then, Tylee, you know, just spoiler alert if you guys haven't seen it. um, But, like, Tylee and May, they just say, like, see ya, Zula. Because she gets too crazy for them. And one of my favorites was May going like, "I love Zuko more than I like want to be partners with you or whatever." To Azula, I th- I think it was something like, "I yeah, love Zuko it, more, Zuko more yeah. than I'm afraid of you." 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think was a really powerful moment. Yeah. And kind of a slap in the face to Azula because that was kind of right. her mom's perspective that as well. Z- you know, everyone was like on Team Zuko, and once again, this person abandoned her. Yeah, Azula had been, you know, a prodigy firebender, mm-hmm. and she had been the daddy's little girl, but she still had never won the love and affection from either of her parents that Zuko had. Yeah. And she was always jealous of him. Mm-hmm. So, Kaylin, what's your mm-hmm. favorite character, personally? My favorite character is Toph. I love her so much. Um, she reminds me of a character in a Star Wars book that I read as a kid that was always barefoot because she felt like she felt more connected to the Force. So, like, the first time I watched it, I, I made that kind of connection. And just, like, I love her sass and I love her strength. And it's, like, I I it's one of, I mean, obviously I'm not a blind person, but from my from my... From my perspective, it's one of, it's a really good, I think, representation of someone with uh, special needs. And it's it's funny that she, that you guys mentioned the jokes earlier, because my, um, my youngest brother is on the autism spectrum. And like, he's, he's almost 18. And there was one time that we were hanging out at Disney, it was just the three of us. And I hadn't seen them in a while. And I was very worried about him, like the whole time. And he like, just randomly cracked a joke. He's like, he's like, Kaylin, what's wrong? Do you, what do you think I am autistic? <laughs> and it like caught me in my, like, I just like, just, it's weird to, to, to crack jokes about that kind of thing. But also when it's part of your life, it's just, it just is what it is. Yeah, I agree. So That's I like that part of talk. Thing to think about when it comes to talk and you, Kaylin, you found mm-hmm. a really good theory on Zuko, right? On Tumblr. Yes, I did. Um, I saw a Tumblr theory that Zuko is uh, also on the autism spectrum, which I thought was really interesting. And there were a lot of good points about it, um, like uh, like how a lot of his like in the flashbacks, he laughs at things and his mom's like, well, why are you laughing at that? That's not funny. Like throwing rocks at the turtle ducks. And uh, he says, because Azula mm-hmm. did it and she thought it was funny. And so much of his, like, personality feels like masking, and it talks about, like, how it feels like it's harder for him to um, master his firebending skills because he doesn't have great fine motor skills, which is another um, thing people in the spectrum often experience, and, like, his social interactions with the other characters, like, later, like, our favorite quote of all time, that's rough, buddy. (laughs) It's just, like... Wanting to empathize, but not really knowing how. Yeah, and I so find I just really thought it was interesting. It's an interesting Zuko headcanon. Is, I mean, I, lo- I love Zuko. I-, I would say he's probably my favorite. But I, it, as is everybody else's favorite. And he's just held on this, like, he's a dark, brooding, misunderstood prince. And he's handsome, you know. But for to have something like that mm-hmm. in his, like, you know, the, on the autism spectrum is something... You know, if it was ever confirmed, that would be fantastic because it would give these kids, these people mm-hmm. with this issue, something to look up to in a way. It's interesting because the show doesn't shy away from portraying the kids yeah. struggling with whatever it is that they struggle with. Like Aang and he, when he's um, gearing up to fight Ozai at the end, like mm. he wrestles with all the PTSD style dreams. And like they just. 
they all have stuff that they have to work through. And I think that makes them more human and a lot more relatable, which I think might be why this show was so successful and popular. Also, Mike, who's your favorite? Well, we really haven't been talking about Katara a lot, so (laughs) I'm just going to go with Katara out of sake for getting her some more some more time to be talked about. So I love I love the motherly side of Katara. Oh, I yeah. love that, you know, she's kinda of like the mom of the group and she takes care of everyone. You know, she's the healer in the group. Mm-hmm. But she can also be kinda of like really petty sometimes. Oh, <laughs> and she can be hypocritical and um, rude and you know, all that all those things that people can be, you know, she's not this glowing aura of feminine beauty all the time. She's, she'll get her hands dirty if she wants to, you know, and she struggles with her own inner darkness and her own trauma and her own role in like the water tribe and in the, the gang and as Sanka's brother and later as the love interest of the avatar. Mm-hmm. And she's very fascinating to me. She, yeah, she's just, she, you could definitely tell, like, she just has this power of just needing to be, like, kind of like the lead female of the group. And she wants to protect that, but she's also a teenage girl who is dealing with regular teenage girl problems with love and just attitude. <laughs> attitude is the big thing with Katara, mm-hmm. I feel like. Is she's just trying to sort it out, sort out her emotions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she grew up in the Southern Water Tribe, and in the Northern Water Tribe, women aren't allowed to learn how to water bend. And so when she goes her entire life, she goes the entire first season looking for a teacher. And when she finally meets a teacher in the Northern Water Tribe to teach her water bending, he doesn't want to do it because she's a girl. Mm-hmm. And she puts her she puts her foot down like, and, and basically spars with him until he admits that she's talented and she's worthy yeah. of his tutorship. And yeah, she's she's a great character. Oh, man, yeah. That I, I think she was even scared. Like, she learned how to bloodbend, and she was like, you could do that? And then it was like, I can do that. If you're not, oh, my God. If you're not familiar with bloodbending, the basis of waterbending is that they control water. But the funny thing about human bodies is that they are like 98% water. So when a waterbender is skilled enough under full moon at night, is that some of them can control other people's bodies by bending the water inside of them. And they almost do it in this like frightening contortionist Linda Blair way. Um, And it basically strips you of your willpower to move. And it was born out of, like, a a waterbender concentration camp from the wars. And it's this really ugly thing. And Katara has to come to the grips with that she can do it and that she only has to do it to defend herself against other bloodbenders. But she has to match their darkness and their kind of, their lows to even stand a chance against them. Yeah, and, you know, I said my favorite character, yeah, could be Zuko, but I really like Suki. Suki is Suki's awesome. character, like Sokka. But she's just so powerful. 
Yeah, and she's <laughs> she's trained in mm-hmm. the art of the fan. Yeah. Which is about, it's kind of like water running. It's all about like redirecting your opponent's energy and distraction and theatrics. So when she meets Saka for the first time, he's all like, oh, I'm a man. There's no way you could be a man. Even the strongest woman couldn't be a man. And she, of course, kicks his butt. And he humbles himself before her. And she gets him in drag later, <laughs> learning martial arts and learning how to fight because that's how cool Suki is. And what's really interesting about this series with Avatar and Legend of Korra is they looked into martial art moves for these characters. Yes. All of, I want to say all of the bending is based off of Kung Fu. I want to say there's different forms of Kung Fu or Tai Chi. I feel like each tribe has different, is representative of a different kind. Yeah, even inside of like... I can't remember which one is which. There's still like different styles you can tell, like yeah. and i think i want to say in the, the beginning of book two mm-hmm. they go to a forest and they meet these people who are bending vines and leaves and they're bending the forest itself and you're like wait a minute plant is an element how are they bending plants but then you realize that it's just these water benders bending the water within the plants to move them and they have kind of like a different like vietnamese style to their bending it's it's cool. And I also just appreciate mm-hmm. just the art style, the animation style of this series, too. It's just very anime Japanese-like, but it's a very, it's an American cast for the most part, right? And yeah, American cast, uh, American creators. Um, mm-hmm. I want it, and it is, I want to say that it was done by Studio Mirror. Mirror? And that's definitely in Asia somewhere. They do... Typically, uh, animation is that you'll have what's called the in-betweeners. Yeah. And you'll have um, the bigger the bigger animators will do all the key poses for each scene. They'll kind of like scope out the scene with each individual drawing where there's dramatic change. And then they'll send it over to a, uh, a cheaper animation studio where someone will draw the pictures in between the, the frames to kind of fill in the gaps. Yeah, and this whole series, it went on to win the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards um, in 2007 and 2008, and it was just voted for a favorite cartoon. And for me, yeah, it's a cartoon, but it's just overall just a story, and it's it's great. Like, sometimes you forget these are even animated characters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could be listening to this podcast in the last... Mm-hmm. 10 or 15 minutes of it and forget that we're talking about a cartoon but it is a cartoon but you will forget it's mm-hmm. a cartoon just because of the themes that it touches on and the, the beauty that the animation will will show at times well it's funny because it's like i don't know any like mm-hmm. it's it's people like our age that really appreciate it and i mean this cartoon can break tumblr it's all over tumblr <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. um I, I don't yeah. know. Like, I mean, the little kids, like my brother, he watched it when he was really young, and he just really remembers, like, Appa, the fuzzy animal <laughs> of the series. And we got Legend of mm-hmm. Korra, which is its sequel, and it's very, the fans are very, decide- like, they either just hate it, or there's people like me, especially, that love it. But critically, it got good reviews, so. Go figure on that. Mm-hmm. We'll see Avatar's legacy continue to grow as 
the show continues to find new fan bases in the forms of, you know, now being available to stream on Netflix and possible um, live action adaptation coming out, plus possible more animation coming on to Paramount Plus. And of course we have the comics and board games mm-hmm. and everything. And it just continues, the canon continues to grow. Yeah, and that's actually another point, too, I wanted to talk about are the comics. And the comics are pretty much like a continuation of the story. And they're just all... It's pretty much a seamless transition where you go, you'll watch Avatar, and then you'll start watching Legend of Korra, and there'll be so much, so many things are different. But what you can do is you can go and you can read the comics, and the comics will bridge the gap, and it will show the origin of all the new elements in Legend of Korra. Like, for example, the Air Acolytes or the Metal Bending Academy. It shows where it all came from and it's just as good a storytelling as the show. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading them and it, I enjoyed re- like learning more about what happens after the series wraps up, the, the show wraps up. Seeing how like Katara and Aang, they move on and just the whole gang, they just find more adventures, they use their abilities to their benefit. And Aang continues to have more responsibility thrust on him and, you know, he has to deal with the consequences of not only his actions in book one through three, but he has to deal with the actions of past avatars and past fire lords and it's deep stuff. Yeah, and, and Mike, I was telling Kaylin about the Kyoshi books <laughs> that came out. You read them. Oh, yes. And Kyoshi, she, I'm sorry, was an avatar, what was it, before... She was the Earthbender avatar before Roku, Roku who was the right. avatar before Aang. So she is the Earthbender in Aang's cycle. So what's really cool about the Kyoshi novels is that it takes place hundreds of years before Last Airbender, and it's about this avatar named Avatar. Oh gosh, what's his name? So the story goes is that they mistakenly cat they mistakenly think someone else is the Avatar. So throughout this book, th- this man is led to believe that he's the Avatar, but in reality it's actually his maid Kyoshi. And they go to this island and they talk to the spirit to determine who the real Avatar is. And when Kyoshi discovers that it's her, you can go back in the rest of the book and you can look at all these different instances where you go, well, yeah, it's clearly the Avatar. (laughs) So not only that, not only is her origin of being discovered as the Avatar different, but also how she learns the elements is different. Not only does she not learn them from some sort of like masters from the White Lotus Society, but she learns them from a band of like misfits and thieves, like basically like the Lost Boys. During during the novel, she's off, she's often butting heads with this group of pirates from the different nations, from more specifically the Water Tribe, and she learns to bend from this like secret society of criminals. It's it's really cool. Uh, if you if you're not really into cartoons or comics and you're just curious about like what Avatar is and you're not going to watch the movie, of course. No. Don't watch the movie. What movie? <laughs> yeah, what movie? Exactly. What movie? What movie? Um, yeah, pick There's a movie? Book. Um, I actually lent it to my sister, Melissa, because she kept on hearing her students talk mm-hmm. about 
Avatar, and I was like, oh, well, you know, you're not going to watch the show, but you can read this book. Yeah. And it's a two-part book. Both parts are out, so, yeah, pick them up and read them there. They're definitely worth it if you enjoy anything else Avatar. Yeah. That sounds great. Just the I'll have to check that out. Show. It's just, it's on Netflix. It just got released on Netflix this past year with the pandemic, and we just, there's a whole new wave of fans. And merchandise, they, too. merchandise. Oh my gosh, box lunch. <laughs> We've been mm-hmm. frequenting box lunch. Um, and we have <laughs> like the Funko Pops, and gosh, I just bought Zuko and Katara candy bars from FYE. <laughs> oh yeah. no, you I sold at FYE where you are? I'm so jealous. That was like my it's funny because they don't sell movies oh, and music like the CDs and all that anymore. It's just it's Funko Pops and just a lot of fandom. Oh stuff. no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm cool with that. If I guess that's how you survive as that kind yeah, of store. Oh, that's so that cool. It's mint water tribe chocolate and then it's jalapeno jalapeno pepper for the fire. It's nation. like jalapeno pepper dark chocolate for Zuko. Yeah. And they were out of Oh my god, that sounds mine. so good. <laughs> we're scared to eat them. Like, <laughs> Just yeah, mail it to me. Of- they also oh, have egg and top. I'll eat it live out. for you. So I'm thinking they were like the better flavors. That's why. But I just thought they looked cool, so I got them. Yeah, they, oh, the packaging man. is very nice. We'll be, we will be holding on to the packaging long after the chocolate expires. Yeah, we can make our own chocolate bars or something like <laughs> foam chocolate. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, if you're listening and you haven't watched the show, it's available to stream on Netflix. I want to say CBS All Access. You can... You can Check out the comics and the Kyoshi novels at your local library. And for goodness sake, do not watch the movie. Don't do it. Do not. Don't. I have a funny story about seeing the movie because I saw it in the cheap theaters if, if we have time. It's, so we, my, parent, my mom took me and my siblings to see it when it came out and I hadn't seen oh, no. the show. So I had like no context. So like we watched it. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. But the uh, the theater we went to was in our local mall, and it was super cheap, and it was it wasn't kept up very well. It was like two dollars for a ticket, and so like at the very end, when Azula comes on screen, this really cool effect happens where it looks like the film's catching on fire. However, it was not an effect. <laughs> the film actually caught fire up in the booth, like right as Azula came on screen at the end. Yeah, that's just that's that's the raw energy that Azula has. <laughs> yeah, the movie caught fire. They just like don't the, the name like Soka. Oh God, I don't even. I haven't watched it since I saw it in theaters. So and that was when it came out. So I just and I was traumatized. I'm like, turn it off. I can't. Oh God. I recently looked it up for the cast list, and it's. Oh, how? What's a polite exactly. way to say not as say. colorful as it it's should be? It's a shame that all of the background characters yeah. are the ones that are ethnically accurate, mm-hmm. and all the foreground main characters are white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they want to go with you know mm-hmm. Asian pronunciations of the names, which I guess there's some leeway in that. But then they cast white actors, mm-hmm. and it, you just can't have both. Mm-hmm. Don't. Nope. It's la- it's yeah, it's and yeah. the bending yeah. is so slow. Like <laughs> like there's this scene yeah. where these earthbenders get together. There's like six of them. And they all start like dancing around in like earthbender form <laughs> and they move as boulder and they move it like at the speed of like the Macy's Day parade <laughs> below. Coming at the spire, and he's like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "Get out of the way!" 
And the fire just led to the left. Fire, which is in the show, which is why they had such an advantage over the Earth Kingdom and the fire and the water tribe was because they could form their own element and they could do it in any situation. And their element, you know, it was fire, so it was spread. You know, it was everywhere. It would get everywhere. But in in the movie, they have to carry around lanterns or they'll make like a bonfire and then they'll get around it and dance and then the fire effects will appear and all of the fights it's just like lazy wire work and it's all done in like one take and when you unless you're jackie chan or jet lee when you when you edit a fight scene or you do a fight scene you do it in takes like to do something to do a fight scene in one take it really takes out the momentum um in Mm -hmm. conclusion do not watch the movie. Sorry, yeah. Watch the series on Netflix. Basically. Just do it. <laughs> and on that note. Yeah. And then watch it again. I want to thank Kaylin. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. It was so fun. Thanks Mike, for having thank me. You. This was super fun. You're welcome. You're like one Bye, of the Koala Otter. biggest Avatar fans I know. <laughs> and I want to thank you guys for joining us this week. And mm. I will talk to you guys next week. All right. Bye.